It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. The Rays Radio Network proudly presents This Week in Rays Baseball. Here's your host, Neil Solons. We continue our alumni podcast series, and I think you're really going to enjoy our next guest. Um, He had a seven-year major league career, including a couple with the Rays, and is probably the only member of that 2008 team who already has been not only a major league player, but also is broadcast and is now coaching. And that it is alma mater, as you can see, the logo of the University of Auburn. That's Gabe Gross. Gabe, thanks very much for your time. Absolutely. Now, look forward to it. Tell me how, uh, first of all, how are you doing and how's your family doing during all of this? We're doing good. Uh, we have, uh, it is not, uh, you know, coronavirus has not affected uh, my family, which is awesome. Uh, we, uh, like everybody, I'm sure we're, we're stir crazy there for a couple of months and uh, doing anything we could to uh, get out, walk around the neighborhood a little bit, whatever. Uh, thankful the golf courses didn't shut down. We were able to play golf a little bit. I know my son, I have a son who's nine and a uh, daughter who's 11. That's Allie and Jake. Uh, my daughter was actually born uh, in 2009 while I was playing in Tampa. Uh, my son the next year uh, after a year in Oakland. But um, everybody's doing good. Has it, how has it been for them? Um, and uh, how good were you at uh... – uh, teaching online, I didn't know how much of that you had to help out with at home. Yeah, you know the first the first week or so in school, um, we were we were, you know, I, you mentioned I'm a baseball coach at Auburn. We were doing in the morning some different calls with our guys and and just doing different things. And then uh, mid morning around lunch, I'd get through and I'd walk in and and either Allie, Jake, or my wife Kelly was crying for about the first week uh, trying to figure out how to do all the schoolwork and stuff and, and they they got it figured out and and I became the designated math teacher uh, so I got to uh, relearn how it is taught now these days which is kind of half crazy to me sometimes I tell my daughter hey this is how you do this and she's like well that's not how they teach us how to do it uh, so I kind of had to relearn a few things and become a teacher and uh, you know what it, it actually I had to remind myself a lot that it just you know I'll never get never get time like this with my family again more than likely uh with the busyness of of what what i do and um and and to enjoy every moment of it a lot of the players especially from that 08 team have told me that that's kind of the silver lining that they've met in all of this is the extra family time that they didn't anticipate that's exactly right i you know i mentioned golf and playing it um i realized they were letting some youth golf tournaments happen my son had never really played in the individual golf tournament He's now played in four, and I got to caddy for him in all four uh, of, of the tournaments and just walk nine holes and talk about golf and figure things out. And just uh, it, it's just been pretty cool. Has it been hard for them, though, overall, so, or harder for you and your wife to adjust to the way things have been the last few months? You know, I think at the very beginning it, it was pretty tough, but I, I do think that, that it's, you know, it's, it's just been an adjustment to be made. And you know, kids are resilient. I mean, they, you know, give them a week and they're going to adjust to anything. And I think they have. 
Um, I think the hardest thing at the beginning was really not being able to play with their friends. Uh, you know, not being able to just, you know, gather up. Everybody's home from school, and yet nobody's playing in the backyard. And uh, That was tough, but, you know, it's, it's loosened up a little bit now, and, and I think they've adjusted to it, and it's just, it's just become kind of a new normal and, until school starts back again. Where were you with uh, Auburn when this happened, and, and how challenging was that aspect of it? You know that that it, it was crazy. Uh, you know, obviously the the major leagues got um, stopped in spring training. We were in the middle of our season. We were four weeks in, which the college season you have four weeks of non-conference games. At least in the SEC, you have four weeks of non-conference games, and then um, conference games start. And we were uh, a day away from playing Texas A&M uh, for our first conference weekend. In fact. Uh, Cliff Pennington, who didn't, I don't think, ever played for the Rays, but was a nine or ten year uh, big leaguer. Um, he and I stayed close and in contact. He's helping Texas A&M his first year out, and he told me they were ready. They were about to get on the bus to go get on the plane to fly to Auburn when they got the news that it was canceled, and it was over like that. I mean, it just, you know, you work so long, uh, and really the college seasons or are, calendar's are a little different because you go through fall practice and. You go through January, then you kick back up preseason, and it's kind of like they those kids had and coaches, you know, worked all year long to get to the point really to get to that ten week SEC season because that's that's where it gets really special. Uh, and then obviously trying to get to the postseason, and, and then it was just taken away, and that that was that was tough. Yeah, how many of the kids decided to come back for the extra year at Auburn? Because obviously this is a very unique situation for all of college athletics, and how tough was it to see some kids? abruptly in their careers, either in college or overall? You know, it was tough. Um, I think everybody who wanted to keep playing is going to keep playing. Uh, Matt Scheffler, who was our catcher and a senior, had a chance to, to come back, and um, he wound up signing uh, as a free agent. He had gotten his degree. Uh, he was a senior, uh, graduated. He wound up signing with the Seattle Mariners, which was actually his hometown uh, team. And so he's happy uh, and going on and playing. Um, we had a, a, a one transfer, uh, just really was a more anything. You know, baseball doesn't get full scholarships and, and just uh, needed a little bit more scholarship money than we could offer. We've got another one coming back. Uh, the three position players, our third baseman, Rankin Woolley, decided he wanted to come back and, and have his senior year over again. And then we had a guy named Ryan Watson who was a pitcher, and he wound up signing uh, as a senior. And, and really where it affected us more than anything was the draft only being five rounds. We had a, a ton of guys who probably would have been, you know, six to ten round draft choices that didn't get drafted because of that. And, and so those juniors are now back, uh, which I think in the short term is going to make college baseball in the SEC, which is already the, the best amateur baseball offers, uh, even better um, because it's going to – you're going to have guys that, that would be in the minor leagues this next year and even some high school guys that probably would have gone instead of coming to college that are all going to show up on college campuses. And so I would say the next two to three years of college baseball, um, it's going to be a high, high-end product. I, I would guess so. I, I think that there's probably areas, though, of college baseball that are probably going to be helped by this and also some that are going to be hurt. I saw some junior colleges in Arizona that now are not going to – play for the upcoming season or some some smaller programs that have dropped just because yeah. of their their revenue situations right now. Yeah, and that's you know that that's going to become even more prevalent if football doesn't play. And I think everybody thinks it's going to play, hopes it's going to play, but 
uh, so many schools, that's, that's the revenue driver and football pays for everything else. And I'm, uh, you know, a baseball coach and I want baseball first and all that kind of stuff, but I get the realities of that. Uh, you know, if you look at our stadium, um, it's a very nice college baseball stadium, but it seats about 80,000 people less than the football stadium that's right across the street from us. Uh, it, it, it's just the reality of, uh, of it. And so football will be a big marker to see if that goes off. Um, if it does, yeah, you've seen some junior college not playing. You've seen a couple of programs drop. I think that you won't see any more, really. It, it, much more, I won't say any more, but much more if football goes off. If football doesn't, uh, I think that's going to affect uh, an enormous amount of schools. Certainly. You've been doing this for a little while now on the coaching side. When you were playing for the Rays in 2008, you know, I look at that roster yourself. Gabe Kapler is now managing in the big leagues. Eric Hinsky was coaching the big leagues. Uh, Dave Martinez was a bench coach. And, of course, he managed the Nationals who won the World Series. Did you think that there were a lot of guys on that roster who were going to get into coaching? You know what? It, it's When you're playing, I think sometimes you don't necessarily think in those terms. I've heard that as soon as you think about what you're going to do next, you're probably done. Uh, uh, that, that, that ends pretty quick. And, you know, nobody was really talking about it that much. However, you know, you – you look at that 2018, and I, I, that that was just such a fun year of baseball. It's always fun when you're winning, and we were winning, and it was a first for Tampa, and the, uh, the Tampa and St. Pete really came alive with support for the race, and um, it kind of really ushered in the, the, the era that, that Tampa's in now. It kind of separated the, the first 10 years, which was just bad uh, baseball, versus really the last 10, which, is, which has been pretty good. Uh, and it was a ton of fun, but we didn't have – I mean, when you look at the teams in Boston that we beat and, and you look at uh, Big Poppy and you look at Manny and Kevin Euclid and Pedroia and um, Josh Beckett on the mound and, and the different guys, we didn't have the star power really on that team that the other teams have. Even in Philadelphia, you know, the Ryan Howard was in a period where he was – you know, hitting 40-plus home runs every year. And Chase Utley, uh, you know, maybe a Hall of Famer for, you know, when it's all said and done. And uh, the uh, – trying to think of other – Rod Madsen still pitching. Uh, he was on that team. Joe Blanton was was was, was a pretty good ball player too. And, and you just had uh, – you just had some really, really uh, – uh, Rollins at shortstop. Uh, you had you had some names out there. And we did not – that we didn't have names. But I, I went – actually did this with a friend of mine the other day. And I was kind of going through it. It's like – you know, we had a lot of guys who really understood the game, knew how to play well together, and we played better as a team than, than the sum of the parts. Uh, you know, we, we just played better. And that, you know, there's, there's a reason for that somewhere along the line, and it's because we had a lot of guys who really understood the game of baseball and, and knew the importance of doing the little things right and, and how to win games. And, and I think more than anything else, maybe we played great defense. Uh, we could we – could, we keep pitching could keep us in game. We played great defense, great defense, and we figured out how to win games late. So when April 22nd of 08 rolled around, that's when you were traded to the Rays yeah. from Milwaukee. You had mentioned they had not had a winning season before. So what's going through your mind on that day? Because, okay, they're playing well at that point, but it's still April. Yeah, the, you know, it, it's really weird. First off, I scored the winning run in Milwaukee that day as a member of Tampa Bay. Uh, the trade had happened in the middle of the game. Uh, Tampa had asked for me to be pulled from the game. We were already a position player short. Milwaukee basically said, 
we can't do it because we might run out of position players. And so I played the last half of that game as a member uh, of the Tampa Bay Rays and actually scored the winning run in extra innings and was told about 15 minutes afterwards that I was no longer a part of the Milwaukee Brewer organization. And, uh, you know, I, all, I could, I, all I could think about was that, you know, I, I hoped I would get more playing time, uh, which I, I actually did. And at the time they were playing okay, but I think when I got there they were four, day, four games under 500. Um, and, and it was not because of my arrival, but we immediately won nine straight. Um, I got there, they were playing. We actually played three home games against Toronto at the mm-hmm. Disney. Yep. Uh, those were my first three games. We swept them. Uh, we played Boston at home, and we swept them. And then we went to Baltimore, and we swept them. We won nine games. And then uh, went to Boston, and, and Boston abruptly ended that and swept us uh, right after that. In fact, one of the biggest eye-opening deals for me was after that, after that sweep, we got swept by Boston. That Joe didn't meet with us very much. That wasn't his deal. And, and he had a meeting with us after that. And he just said, look, guys, um, if we're going to get to where we all want to get and know we can get, uh, we're going to have to come back here and we're going to have to beat these guys here uh, to do it. And to be honest with you, that was the first time since I'd gotten traded over for two weeks that I'd even let myself think, well, wow, these guys think that they can make the playoffs. You know, I mean, these guys think that they might be able to – We, I say they, we might be able to win the AL East before this is said and done. And uh, Joe very much believed it. And uh, it wasn't very long of me continuing to play and as a team. And, man, we just kept finding ways to win games. And, and slowly but surely, all 25 guys on that team started to really believe it, and that, that became powerful. So you remember the conversation, but when do you remember thinking, okay, now I believe it. This team actually is going to be either a playoff team or can win the division. When did you buy in? You know, I, I really thought that we could. We just kept winning so much in the first half. I'll give you two different ones. I mean, it, it was probably June-ish um, that, that we just – we had like an eight or nine. I don't know how many game lead we had. We just, we just continued to find a ways to win. And I'm looking around. And it just—it's not just the bad teams we were beating. Uh, we we were beating, we were sweeping the White Sox, which won the Central. We had swept Boston. Uh, we were beating the Yankees routinely, who actually were just kind of okay that year. Boston was the uh, the team that you had to slay. They had won it in 07, and they had all those guys back. I, I, you know, I, I talked about Ellsbury in center, and Euclidus and Pedroy and Big Poppy and Manny and Beckett, and uh, just just all the the, the names uh, that you could go through, and. Uh, and we were beating them. Uh, I think, you know, we swept – I think we were 9-0 and against them. You can check that um, at home. I don't think they beat us at home during the regular season. And up until September, which is when I really thought, you know, they caught us in September. And Dan Johnson, you know, came to the ballpark in the fifth inning after getting called up and pinch hit and had a home run off Papelbon. That's another name. Uh, you know, and we won there and won the next game, and we won a series at Boston. And just like Joe had kind of said, we were going to have to right there at the beginning of September. And I think when that happened, I really believe that we're going to do this. Not that we can do this, but we are going to do this. As a player, when did you feel comfortable? Because it's not easy. You were, you were traded a couple times in your career. When did you feel comfortable in that clubhouse? You know, it, it really helped me um, early. Uh, you, you so when you get traded, you so want to make a contribution. And I think that helps tremendously when you do something that really helps the team win. And I, I don't know how long it was. It wasn't very, very long, two or three weeks after I got there. 
uh, I hit a, a single up the middle off of Mariano Rivera that that won that won the game. Uh, Johnny Gomes had pinch run, stole second. Um, I remember thinking when he did that that all I needed to do was roll over to second and get him to third because uh, there's nobody out, and we we had a great chance to win the game. And and uh, just you know when he throws that inside cutter to me as a lefty, just get my bat broken and hit a ground ball to second. And I thought, wait a minute, there's no way he's going to let me do that. You know, there, there's no way that he's going to throw that in there and just let me break my bat and move this runner. He's probably going to backdoor cutter me, and he did. And I was able – I was all I was really trying to do was hook the backdoor cutter to second and uh, got enough of it to get it up through the middle. Johnny scored, and we won. And that that really started that process for me of really feeling a, a member of that organization. Um, obviously, it was a big deal to beat the Yankees, bigger deal to beat Mariana. Um, it was one of the, you know, when the Red Sox and Yankees came to town, it was sold out every other game wasn't. So there were a lot of, a lot of fans in the, in, in the house. And of course, a lot of them were Yankees fans uh, as well, which made it even better. They, you know, go home sad. Uh, and so that, that started the process. I remember it kind of a neat story. Troy Percival, Dan Johnson had gotten traded the day before I had. And then when I got traded, they sent Dan down and Troy walked by my locker when I first got there. And he said, if you're here tomorrow, I'll introduce myself to you. Uh, <laughs> because he had introduced himself to Dan and Dan wasn't there the next day. And so he just, he said, Hey, if you're here tomorrow, I'll introduce myself to you. And of course I was there the next day. And, uh, Troy actually became a really good friend of mine, but um, it, it's, it's a process when you get integrated in the middle of a season. Um, but, but being a contributor and those guys knowing that you can help them wins a, a big deal. And you had a couple of walk-offs in the month of June too. Uh, if yeah. I remember right. One against uh the White Sox, and then you had another big hit against uh, the Astros. Um, what do you remember about those moments? You know what? It's crazy. Um, the only three walk-offs I had in my major league career were the three that year. Um, <laughs> one was a home run, and, and two were – well, one was a single, one was a double. But two were just hits, and one was a home run. And they happened really – I think the, the, they all happened within about six weeks of each other or seven weeks of each other. Uh, I remember the – obviously, I just talked about the one off Mariano and um, – you know, the Astros, I think I'd entered that game late, um, and I really didn't take a great swing. It was kind of a jam shot, just flare down the left field line that uh, nobody could get to, and uh, sometimes that's good enough. And and then the one off the White Sox was a uh, – boy, uh, what was his name? Thornton, uh, Matt Thornton, a big, tall lefty, most consistent 96-mile-an-hour fastball I've ever seen. It's like if he threw things 95 or 97, something was wrong. Like when it came out of his hands, it was 96. Um, but I, I, Burley had started the game, and Burley threw in the mid-80s. And so when they put Thornton in, the first two pitches he threw me were in the catcher's mitt before uh, I ever knew what had happened. And, and praise the Lord that he decided to throw me a slider because it sped my bat up and, and – I was the most surprised person in the ballpark that, that I'd hit it and it had gone out. But uh, really good feeling. And, again, that those just kind of cemented, uh, you know, my, you know, getting in the locker room and feeling a part of something and, and really understanding that I'm helping this team. Not only am I helping a team win, but a team that's it's leading a division and, and really got a chance to do something special. There was another big moment that month for the team, I thought, you know, talking to a lot of guys from that 08 club. And that was the brawl in Boston, since you mentioned. Oh, yeah. That. Where were you when that happened, and what is what backstory do you have from that? You know, I I wasn't playing that game. Uh, I think it, you know, it, it really it really made us so mad uh, because of how well liked and respected Aki was. Um, 
And I, I remember that, uh, you know, Jason Bartlett, I think, on a, a ball that was in the dirt, put his knee down to try to pick a ball and then apply a tag to, to Coco Crisp. And I think Coco thought he had tried to, to put his knee on him and hurt him. Uh, which was not the case, but that's what he felt like. And so he goes in the next time against Aki and just, you know, has his spikes up around his knees and his thigh. And, uh, man, it just – it was – you know, we, we left the ballpark fuming uh, as a team. And there was no doubt that James Shields, who started – going to start the next day, was going to hit Coco um, as soon as he could. And that happened. And I, I remember that, that basically we had about seven guys suspended and fined. And Boston had one, which tells you which team thought who was in the wrong, uh, if you will. Uh, Boston guys were not fired up about defending Coco. And I actually played with Coco later, and he, he was not a, not a bad guy at all. I enjoyed my time with him in Oakland. But uh, we were really fired up, and they really weren't. And, uh, and Johnny Gomes, um, you know, if he'd been out in the street, would have been arrested for assault. He, he, he really got after it. Uh, Edwin Jackson did as well. And, and uh, I remember, too, that Carl Crawford beat me from the dugout from left field uh, to the pitcher's mound uh, and came around me sliding. And as he slid into the back of the pile, was throwing lefts and rights on his back. It was, uh, uh, it was wild. Uh, it really was. Now, for people who don't know, you were a football player. Your dad was a football player in, in the NFL yeah. for a bit. And you were at, for a bit at Auburn, too, right? So – when you got into any of those brawls, what, I mean, were you separate the pile type guy or how many of those did you have to deal with? In your career? You know, I, I did three in the minor leagues and, and, uh, and one, that one uh, in the big leagues. You know, my, I couldn't, to be honest with you, when I got in Pro Bowl, I couldn't wait to get into a brawl. I thought it would be just, I thought it would be fun, to be honest with you. And uh, the first one I ever got into, I realized I was, I was sorely mistaken and that it's such chaos um, that really you can be the baddest one on the field. And if you don't see it coming, it's not going to matter. Uh, and that, that's kind of, you know, after that first one, that it was more of a head on swivel. And uh, if one of my teammates needs me, I'm there, and I don't mind mixing it up. But, you know, unless I'm involved directly, I wasn't going to go in there just throwing haymakers um, and, and seeing what was going on. And so really in that fight, I, when I ran around the back of the pile, Jacoby Ellsbury was back there. And we ran into each other, and I grabbed him by the jersey, and he grabbed me by the jersey. And um, we kind of looked at each other like, are you fixing to do something stupid? Uh, like, are you going to hit me? Because if you hit me, I'm going to hit you back. And, and we kind of locked each other down, so to speak. And that was, that was about the high and low of my involvement. Uh, probably a smart move at, at that point in time, too. Did being a football player or a guy who grew up in a football family, do you think that helped you in your baseball career? And if so, how? Yeah, I, I absolutely. Um, I, I think playing football at a high level uh, and getting to play at Auburn, um, you know, it pushed me to do things that I didn't think I could. Um, I think that was a huge thing with me in football is it, is it teaches you you can, you can endure and you can go through more than you think you can. And it also pushed me in the weight room. And, and I'm not going to get into calling out names and, and steroids and, and all that kind of stuff, but um, it pushed me in the weight room that if I'd have just been a baseball player, I, I would have never worked as hard uh, in the weight room uh, as I did. And I, and I wasn't a big guy anyway. I mean, I was plenty big enough, but I, I wasn't just a massive uh, player. And I really wouldn't have been a massive player had I not played football. And, and that's a little bit of a work ethic as well. 
uh, at lifting and getting stronger and, and pushing yourself. And it was just getting started in baseball that that was important. Uh, you know, you go back in the 80s and then you could you know, look at the players and you knew that that, that wasn't important. And then just in the 90s and in the 2000s and obviously today, how, how you know, strength training and fitness and, and eating right and all that stuff has, has become enormous. Um, but I, I think mentally the edge of, of pushing yourself through things, baseball is different, but it's the same. You know, you, you get knocked on the ground in football and you're so tired you can't even think about it sometimes that you could get up and yet you do. Uh, baseball, you're 0 for 10. You feel like you've been hit in the mouth three times in a row. It's, it's early August. Your body's tired. You don't want to get up the next day and go in and put in the work, and yet that's exactly what you have to do uh, to, to to be a professional and, and to have a career out of it. And I just think I just think mentally it, it helped prepare me for the rigors of, of what a 162 game season was going to do to you. Since the plan is for 60 games in 2020 at the big league level, and that's probably not much different than a, a college season. Can you imagine what that would be like and mentally how much how different that might be? Uh, if you were going through it, you know what I, I think it's gonna. I think it's gonna really. Let me say this now. I, I've gotten back from co into coaching uh, and, and college coaching, and I love the college game. Uh, it is so much fun to me. Every, especially when you get into conference, even non-conference. But when you get into the conference, every game is enormous. It's not like playing game one twelve uh, in the middle of July. And, and yes, you're trying to win, but you know managers aren't pulling out all the stops. To, to try to win every game. They're still protecting pitchers for the long haul. They're still, they're still doing a lot of other things besides, hey, I got to sell out every chip to win this one game. And I think that's going to change in a 60-game season. Uh, you don't really have to protect pitchers' arms as much. They're not going to build up enough innings in this small year um, that they're going to be tired if you make the playoffs. So they're going to be some other uh, deal long-term. Uh, I think you're going to see pitch counts uh, increased. Uh, you're going to see more guys maybe used on off days out of relief a little bit. You're going to see different strategies because it's always every game is huge. But now that there's 60, everyone's going to be magnified even more. And I, I think it's going to be very interesting. That You know, when the playoffs come, the playoffs resemble the college game more than, than any other time. And it's simply because – every game's enormous. Uh, it's not just game 112, which is going to be followed by game 113, which is followed by game 114. I mean, it just, it, you know, it's not the 160 marathon. It's more of a sprint. And you, and you, and you manage differently. You think differently um, when, it's, when it's a compressed season. We play 56 regular season games. The big leagues are going to play 60. It's going to be really similar. Do you, going back to 08, do you remember what that moment was like, too, in the playoffs when uh, Aki stepped on second and what that meant to you? <laughs> oh, my gosh. Um, it was very surreal. Um, you, know, you, you know, you dream and you think and you hope and you wish. Um, and then to, to know that you're going to play in a World Series it, it was uh, it was like you're you're riding in a dream and uh, and yet it's real uh, sitting there. I've still got a picture of me and my wife holding the American League Championship trophy uh, right outside our clubhouse. Uh, that is 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 really surreal. It, it is. It still is to a certain degree. Um, but that moment, it just was such a wild ride. It was just like a rocket ship, you know. When I got traded, that that never stopped until we got to the World Series. And I I tell people this all the time too. I mean it. That may be the only time in my career that I, 
felt like we lost a series or lost a game because of extreme overconfidence. Um, I feel like that team, when we got through beating Boston, we thought that the Red Sox were hands down the best team. And they were in the American League besides us. And when we took them down, not only did we have a winning record against them in the American League, we won the American League East, and then we, we beat them in seven games. And, and we vanquished the Red Sox. It was like, who in the world are the Phillies? You know, I mean, we got these guys. And you know what? We could have beat them, but we didn't play well. And that, you know, we had played so well up until that point, and we didn't really play well, and they won, and, and tip your hat to them for it. Uh, but that, that, uh, that moment is, um, is, just, is just awesome um, to go through what you go through in a season with all those guys and to, to reach the World Series is, is, is extraordinary. You've had some great memories and moments. Are there any others that really stick out to you that when you think back to that year um, or any great backstories? I don't know. I, I remember Johnny Gomes, which I've still got. Uh, he walked in the clubhouse one day wearing a robe that had Tampa's logo on it and uh, name on the back. And I don't know if you, you shake your head like you might have heard this before, but, you know, he made a deal um, with Andrew that, that if we won so many games before the All-Star break that he would get us all the robes. And, I mean, we won it, like, with six games to spare. Uh, you know, we, 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 just, we were just on such a roll. Um, and I also remember that, that we lost the last seven games before the All-Star break. I kept waiting for Joe to just explode on us at some point because they weren't against good teams. We, we lost one to Kansas City, uh, two to New York. And New York was okay, but they weren't great. And then four to Cleveland. Cleveland was last in the Central. We were just getting thrilled, just playing terrible. And he never did and came back after the All-Star break. And I remember this. And he said, guys, we, we were in the position we're in right now, uh, first place in the AL East, because we've gotten consistently good starts from our starting pitching. We've gotten great relief pitching. And we've gotten timely hitting. And when this is over with, we're going to be AL East champions because we're going to continue to get quality starting pitching. Our relief pitchers are going to hold games for us and give us a chance to get back in others. And we're going to continue to get timely hitting. And – it wasn't a great rah-rah speech, and it wasn't a butt-chewing. It was just exactly what we needed to hear, that, you know, we were in this position because we had done certain things well, and if we keep doing those certain things well, we're going to do this. And uh, we certainly did. Did he have any influence on your coaching career at all? And if so, how? Because from everyone I talked to, he always seemed to know what to do at the right time for that group. A absolutely. He, I think about Joe and the different ways he handled people. Um, more than anything else. I mean, as a big league manager, yes, you make certain decisions in game, but your biggest task is, is managing the clubhouse and managing uh, personalities, managing people. I thought Joe did a fantastic job with that. I thought he understood people really, really well. And I thought he was up front. And in 2009, I was really struggling. And, and he had a conversation with me that I didn't, I didn't particularly like a whole lot and telling me that I wasn't going to play as much anymore going forward. Um, but he was man enough to come stand in front of me and say it and not just quit playing me and let me wonder why, uh, you know, he just, he just, uh, like I said, he was, he, he respected me enough that he came and had that conversation with me. So, uh, but there, there's multiple things. There's some in-game stuff. Uh, I'd never really seen the safety squeeze used the way Joe used it. And I use that as, as uh, I, I run our offense at Auburn. It has been a tremendous weapon uh, for us when it's done correctly and in the right moments. And um, that's, that's a, a specific example of, of, of offensive play or philosophy, but uh, mainly the things I got off of him were, were 
how to treat people, how to, how to handle people, how to manage people. Uh, and, and many situations that I saw him handle correctly, uh, I have learned from and, and used consistently today. You can thank the late, great Don Zimmer, too, for the safety squeeze, because I know that Zim yeah. had an awful amount of influence on, on Joe, too. You are absolutely correct on that, because he talked about it a lot. Well, the conversation has been a lot of fun. I, I hope that you and your family continue to stay safe and healthy. Um, and I certainly hope that uh, uh, things go well enough that you guys are having another successful year at Auburn come the spring. Well, I appreciate it. And you, you, give, you give Kevin Cash as hard a time for me as, as humanly possible. He and I came up through the minor leagues together and uh, I've known him for a long, long time. Great friend, good baseball man. He was a guy, you're talking about guys, did you know? Yes, he was a guy early in his career that we knew was going to be, that he was going to be a manager and, and be a really good one before it's over with. And I think he's one of the best. But tell him I said, hey. I will. And hopefully there's, who knows, maybe there'll be a run like 08 here in the 2020 season for the race. I, I, I certainly hope so. Go race. That's Gabe Gross. We certainly hope you have enjoyed our conversation with us as we continue getting ready for the 2020 season. Stay safe, stay healthy, and we'll chat with you soon. Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based championship team.